Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Storygram Network. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to Fresh Faces. I'm Aggie Gold, talent agent and former manager. This is my exclusive podcast about how to get your child into commercials, television, and the movies without getting ripped off. Today, we have a very special guest, Sherry Eaker. Sherry and I go back, I don't know, 100 years, something like that. Um, She's been the producer of the annual Bistro Award since the award's inception in 1988, 1985, sorry. She's the former editor of Backstage and during her 30-year run produced panel discussions and workshop events on on an ongoing basis including the programming for Backstage Annual Actor Fest. She compiled and edited four editions of the Backstage Handbook for Performing Artists and compiled and edited the Cabaret Artist Handbook. Sherry is a member of the National Theatre Conference, the American Theatre Critics Association, and produced eight ATCA's New York Weekend Conferences. She is an advisor to the boards of both the Manhattan Association of Cabarets and the Women in the Arts and Media Coalition. This is a woman who is so incredibly talented, (laughs) has so much going for her. She is bright. She is, she was really, I, I was so impressed with you, Sherry, my whole life. Oh, come on. (laughs) I was, you were just so, you, you were the editor in chief of backstage. That was the Bible of the industry. And I remember um, it was great because every year I took the middle section, you had a children's edition. Every year I took the middle of the page of the uh, newspaper and I put all my clients on it. Every time, and I got that for years, I got it for like 10 years or something like that. It was the best, you were great to deal with. Really a pleasure. Thank Um, you. Let me talk. What I like to do is go back to the beginning of your life. The issue was a big seller. Yes. We we sold lots of ads, which I had nothing to do with, but also a lot of copies were sold. It was very much in demand. We did that annually. Yeah, it was fabulous. It was so good for the industry, for the kids and the agents and the managers. But anyway, as I was saying, I like to go back to the beginning when you were little kids. Tell me how all this happened, how you got into this business. Well, you know, it's, you know, someone knowing someone is the key to success in life. I had no, I no vision of doing what I was doing. Uh, I went, I got my master's. Well, actually, you know, I got my degree in education and then I had to go for my master's because I was teaching in New York. Uh, they required a master's degree from all the teachers. Teaching to for me was great. I mean, it was a lot of money back then, all of $10,000 a year. But every, this was back in the early, early 70s. Uh, and every term, your salary would go up another $500. I had my summers off. I traveled to Europe almost every summer. Then after five years, I had it. 
I just could not do it anymore. I was, I, I became an art teacher. This is how desperate they were for teachers. I remember going to a junior high school and Dr. Teichman said to me, so Sherry, do you want to teach art or do you want to teach English? <laughs> and I said, well, okay, I'll be the art teacher. Oh my gosh, that was, but I taught reading one year. Uh, I, was, I was in the like Southeast Bronx. I had a commute to the Bronx every day. I, it, after five years, I said, I can't do it anymore. That's what ages? It. What ages were you teaching? Junior high school. Oh, seventh that's... grade. I don't think I had any eighth grade. Eighth, seventh grade, ninth grade. The boys were like, you know, in the palm of my hand. It was the girls that I had trouble with. <laughs> yeah. you know, I was this little petite teacher. I was all of 20. How old was I? 20, 21 years old. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Meanwhile, in the background, my dad, Ira A. Backstage in 1960. I always looked at it when I got home. It had I didn't understand anything because then it was focusing only on TV commercial production. No, actually, I take that back. When it first began, it was a theater trade paper. The first headline of Backstage in December of 1960 talked about the plans for the Delacorte Theater to be built in Central Park. Then, as the years progressed, 1962, 1963, 1964, it saw that TV commercial production was becoming very big in New York and they could gain more advertising dollars from all these production, pre-production, post-production companies than they could from small little theaters. So they took the whole front of the paper and devoted it to TV commercial production and the back part of the paper was called the legitimate theater section, legit theater. We used to call it the legit section. Legit, right. So uh, I was looking for a job. I, I left teaching at the end of June of 70, I'm aging myself, 76, and uh, looking for a job for six months. I was overqualified. I was underqualified. My father was very, very helpful in setting us, setting me up on interviews. And people say, well, why don't you work for backstage? It's like it never entered my mind. I never thought about it. December, I get a phone call from my dad, December of 76, saying, so-and-so, Charlotte Harmon, who was then the theater editor, was my father, his partner. My father was the advertising director, co-publisher, and his partner was the co-publisher editor. Uh, Charlotte Harmon, who was the legitimate theater section editor, was leaving. She was a producer and she was there uh, 13 years. 
So in the beginning, it was just the two of them, but then Charlotte came on um, and he asked me if I wanted the job. I went, well, well sure, I, I'm looking for a job. I knew nothing. I mean, my father would give me, get me tickets for shows. I would write a review. I was always a good writer. I would write reviews of shows. I would look up how, you know, the format of reviews. Um, and I became the editor. There was so much for me to learn about the business of the theater at that point. I mean, I was like a new kid on the block. And uh, I remember going down to Equity and I don't know if you knew him, but back then the Equity Lounge where the kids came in because all the casting notices were posted, posted. on the walls. There was no such thing as internet, nothing like that. I had, if I was lucky, I think I had an electric typewriter. Um, uh, there was a fellow named Phil Cook. In fact, the name of the Equity Lounge now is called the Phil Cook Lounge. He would let me borrow the books having to do with each of the contracts, you know, the stock contract, the cost under the stock contract, the course, the Council of Resident Stock Theaters contract, business theater contracts, I learned, I learned the salaries and um, I just learned everything because I was so eager to learn. And most important, I had to prove to everyone on the staff that I wasn't just the boss's daughter. I was really there to do a good job. I was always very competent in, in all my schoolwork. No one had to tell me anything. Thankfully, you know, it's still there. So I learned and I created the format of the casting notices that you would see in backstage. Like if we ran back in those days, Aggie, I don't know if you remember, we had, um, they had chorus calls and then they had equity principal interviews and equity principal auditions. You would have to go on the interview before you went on the audition. And I created, well, let's do a, a, a summary of who the producer is, what the show is, what they're looking for, and the cast breakdown, which I would spend so long because they give you every detail of the character. So then I would run underneath exactly when the date, the time, who they were looking for, uh, equity, principal, uh, uh, if it was EPAs, uh, equity, principal auditions, uh, who they were looking for, um, equity, principal auditions from 9.30 to 5.30, sign up sheet begins at, and then I would have the cast breakdown underneath. And I would repeat the details underneath. So in case there was no mistake, they were there twice. Um, and the paper was mostly audition notices. Then there were the, 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 uh, the all the union notices were free. All the non-union notices had to be paid for. And it was those non-union notices that we had to be very 
careful with. Um, uh, I had an assistant then. I required if if anywhere it said nudity required, especially in film, uh, if they were casting for films, you know, the famous line in our office was, what do you mean nudity? And we would ask for references. We would sometimes ask for the script to see exactly where we really vetted the casting notices. And we had a very good reputation for running, you know, dependable, trustworthy notices. Um, of course, there were stinkers that kind of, you know, seep through every once in a while. Uh, and then they became, you know, known on our no-no list. We would not let them advertise again. Um, uh, and I had every week a different focus on a feature. So we became these annual features. We did a kids issue. Aggie, we did, uh, do you remember we did a personal manager's issue? And there was an organization at that time. National Conference of Personal Managers. Right. And I used to interview, if you remember. Who Joe Rapp. Joe Rapp. Rapp. There was Rapp. Rapp, right. Right. Was there someone else he used to head it up? Joe Rapp uh, and his brother, I think. Charlie Rapp? Maybe. Yeah. What they did, they were up in the in Monticello in the Borschfeld. Very Borschfeld comics, yes. Right. And they booked all the com comedians in the hotels up there. And they named a whole street after the, the Rap Brothers up oh. in Monticello. They uh, the Raps also had a hold on the cruise industry. Oh, did booking they? performers, yes. In fact, one of the years ago, I mean, when I was a big girl already, oh, it had to be a good 25, 30 years ago, one of someone from the rap family booked me on a cruise. Oh, it was a beauty, a Radisson, it was called then. I mean, it was first class. I was one of, they had a whole theater Mm -hmm. uh, uh, a theme. So they had performers, they had theater historians. I don't know what I was there for, but I was there. <laughs> and um, it, it was lovely. Anyway, I, I don't know if it still exists or not. I don't even know if the raps are around anymore. Does the National Association? Well, you're not even a personal manager. Anymore. No, but I keep in touch with all my, I keep in touch with um, Sid Gold. He's still oh. a member. I just spoke to him not that long ago. And, and doesn't he have a son that's a performer? Yes. Uh, yes, yes, he does. Doesn't he run some ticketing organization also? I, that I don't know. I know he's in. Uh, he's a personal manager, and he's been one for a very long time. Very long time, I remember. He and his wife, I yeah. I, yes, I think I remember him coming into the office. That's what I loved in the in the olden days. You know, before computer, we did everything on our typewriter, right. and then we had to go down to the print shop where everything was typeset. Then as the years advanced, 
We had our own typesetters in the office. I mean, this was in the, how, in the early 80s or so. Yeah, it was the early 80s. Do you remember breakdown service? <clears throat> they still exist. They course. still exist. But when they started, that's a service that uh, puts out breakdowns daily of every project that's going on on both coasts and, of course, America. Now, in the beginning, they would hand deliver these breakdowns to all the agents in New York. Some kids would run around every morning. I lived on Long Island, so they had to mail it to me. <laughs> so which took me two days to get the breakdown. So I didn't get them that quickly. Then they advanced into um, faxing the breakdowns. <laughs> <laughs> and then they went to, what was it, faxing? And then, well, now it's all online, everything. But what a rigmarole to get a breakdown if you don't live in Manhattan, right. you know? I, I remember uh, speaking to agents. Um, but, you know, they would audition uh, performers and they said, come to the office and pick up the sides for right, the split. Right. My goodness. I, I remember when I first began, or maybe it was a little before I first began, and I remember someone telling me this. When someone was looking for a job, they would, there was someone that was LA based. Oh, I forgot the, if you told me the name, I would know the name. Something, something geographic guide to agencies. And it listed all the agents in New York, probably did so in LA. Ross reports. You're talking about no, Ross no, reports? No, before that, before oh. Ross reports. I remember Ross reports too, which backstage eventually bought. Right. Um, but it was someone's guide to agents and they would list them. Here's everybody on 46th Street. Here's everybody wow. at 250 West 57th Street. And people would tre when tread the boards. They would go around to every agent and say, oh, you know, knock on the door and go, any work for me today? And, and drop off their headshots. Right. <laughs> Which, remember, nobody does that anymore. No, 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 no. Very, very, very. I good. used to get hundreds of headshots a week. And, and did you open them? All? Everyone. I opened everyone. And. You know, and then that's how I got many of my, that's how I got Alec. He sent me a headshot. Oh. Yeah. And uh, that's how I got all my clients, actually, through headshots. So uh, sometimes I would have rent. open calls. Remember, open calls. I would rent a little studio in Manhattan. Oh, right. And then for, for listeners, open calls were if you were not an equity performer. They would have open calls for non-equity performers, right? right. They, they also had open calls for agents looking for clients. Oh. That's what we would do. We would have an open call for prospective clients. Well, I, I didn't know that. I know that um, casting directors would do it, the extras. What, what do they call them? The uh, she cast extras like Sylvia Fay. Right. Very well. well Sylvia Way was a casting director, Sylvia Fay, right. I, she did more than just extras, but she did a lot of extras. Yeah. Oh, but she was very close with our office. Yeah. Sherry! She would call oh, me no, on the phone. No, Sherry! No. 
But I, I love that in the beginning. I love the contact with people. People would come in into mm-hmm. the office and they would present their, you know, their, we had to retype it because, you know, it was on some crumpled paper or a napkin or something. And we had to go over word for word and we would charge them by the word. I think we charged, oh, it was like a minimal amount of fee, like for the first 25 words or so. Oh, those were the days. I haven't thought about that in a long time. You remember, Sherry, I came up to your office one day and- uh, Which office was that? Was that the equity building? Oh, God, I don't remember where Backstage was. I don't remember. We were in the equity building until 1983 or 84. Okay. Well, anyway, I wrote a book, Fresh Faces, Getting Your Kids Into Show Business. And I took something from Backstage, which I shouldn't have. But (laughs) I was very naive and I didn't think it was a big deal. So I took a listing of all the circuses and carnivals and stuff like that. If people wanted to go there. Theme parks. Theme we parks. did our annual theme park issue. So I right. stole that from backstage and put okay, it in my book. you're a friend. And I went up to see you and you were so upset with me. And I didn't know what to do. The book was published and I figured, oh my God, I didn't, you know, I don't know. I'm sorry. I apologize now. <laughs> oh, now I apologize for being upset. No, <laughs> no. All I wanted probably was you to say, you know, courtesy of. Of course. You said that then. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you did that. Yes, I remember. Oh, well. You said you should have at least asked, Aggie. <laughs> I know, no, no. We I'm sorry. Very, very, uh... But I thought it was helping you publicity-wise, too. Well, it was good for the theme parks. Yeah. My goal was, I was a friend of the actors. I, I would fight for them. If they had trouble with a non-equity producer you know, not doing this or not doing this, we would call the producers up and, and sometimes even ban the producers from advertising with us. Yeah. There was a summer stock theater in ooh, Pennsylvania, where somewhere in the Poconos. Yes. Um, it used to be non-equity. And the producer there, oh, the letters I would get, the phone calls I would get. I just know his, let's, his, let's, let it, let's not, I even remember the name. I'm not even going to mention the name now. He's probably, um, he may not be around, who knows. But complaints from actors constantly, the conditions they were living in, you know, the, the amount of work hours they had. We eventually forbid them from running casting notices, and they really depended on us. So we were were a friend of the actors. Actors really could always depend on us. I I was proud to create that reputation. I really was. Yeah, you had a great reputation. I, I started as a teacher. I was there to help the kids I was teaching. And then you take those teaching skills and it applies to being an editor of the paper. You know, the actors are my concern. I care about them. I want to do as much as I can. You know, we would focus on 
actors one week. We would focus on playwrights one week. Anyone, I should say, not more than actors, any artist in the community. Um, co comics, Man, we had our uh, annual comedy issue, I think. Um, I used to have a comedy column called, oh, Bill Ervelino, who still writes. He writes for the New Jersey Star-Ledger, I think. He still writes his own column. Used to be my comedy columnist, uh, reviewing acts in clubs. I miss that. I wish I had more of that now. But so that happened in Backstage. And now, even with the Bistro Awards that I produce, it's those in the Still the performers are my concern. I care about them. I want to review them. I want to go see their acts. I want to give them a, you know, if an act isn't good enough, we, sit, we won't run the review. Why run a bad review? Right. It's very you know? nice. And I call them afterwards, whether it's me or any of my other reviewers, to explain in, in as nice as, as gentle, uh, in, as gentle in term of terms as I could, you know, why they couldn't merit a review. Uh, they weren't ready for the review. So it's just something that I've always carried through me. Thank you, Sherry, so much. That was absolutely wonderful. And thank you all for listening to Fresh Faces with me, Aggie Gold. Hi, everyone. Lisa Pidge here, producer of Fresh Faces. Join Aggie next week as she continues her interview with the amazing Sherry Eaker. Storygram Network. 